to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. Preachers get fired up and sometimes we get misinterpreted, misunderstood that we're, you know, almost mean and I'm not mean I'm a loving caring compassionate guy so I'm going to kind of say a lot of things today but there's just something that I need to deal with in a greater context that's about you and so now that I've got your curiosity peaked maybe you'll pay attention Acts chapter 4 beginning of verse 23 this is the story and we're talking about Peter and John the two apostles of Jesus and being let go Peter and John went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them And so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord. They prayed and said, this is the prayer, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of of your holy servant Jesus. Now that was the prayer. This is, by the way, one of my favorite passages of scripture in the Bible. Watch what happens next. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. (laughs) And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. I'm fired up already. All right, y'all sit down. I sweated so bad I had to go cool off in the green room, so I'm going to try to give you all I got again. All right, let me, let me give you the context for this message today to help you understand it. Here's the story, starting in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they live in Jerusalem. They don't have a church building yet like this. They're meeting in homes at best. They, they're still going to the temple because they're Jewish believers now in Christ, so they still go to the temple as a place of worship. It is the hour of prayer, and they're on their way, and they encounter this lame man who's sitting at the gate called Beautiful who's begging for alms. Peter and John look at him and immediately know that God wants to perform a miracle in this man. He's begging for alms. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk. And he takes him by the hand. Instantly, the man is healed by God. He gets strength in his legs. He jumps up and the Bible said he went walking and leaping and praising God into the temple. Well, that drew in a crowd, a very large crowd. And as soon as Peter and John had a large crowd, they're wanting to know what goes on. They're telling them the man, the one who healed this man, his name is Jesus. And they preach Jesus and salvation through Jesus. Now watch what happens. This is in the temple. Immediately, the priest and this group called the Sadducees, which was a religious sect, they come running, and they're listening to this. Now, remember, this is not long after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. So the same people that put Jesus on the cross are the same people running in hearing Peter and John. The same people. 
Now they're preaching about Jesus. They tried to kill him and get rid of him. Peter and John are preaching that there's salvation through him and they don't like that. They arrest Peter and John and the layman. How'd you like you be out? You're not able to walk your whole life and finally you can walk around and then he's sticking in a jail cell where you can't walk. So the poor guy gets stuck in a jail cell. The next morning they, they take him out and they bring him before the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council of Israel. It would be like being brought before a body as distinguished as the Congress or the Supreme Court of the United States. These are powerful people. And, they, and again, these are the same people that had a kangaroo mock court and found Jesus guilty of something that he wasn't, other than being the son of God, and brought him to Pilate and had him crucified. They're standing before the very same individuals. And so they're boldly preaching Jesus to them. And they're like, who are these guys? And they said they're ignorant and unlearned. They're not people who've studied theological things. They've never been to seminary, but they took note and found out, oh, these were guys who walked around with Jesus. And they said, look, we're going to threaten you and tell you right now, we don't want you preaching or teaching in his name anymore. And we're telling you right now, you better stop it or there's going to be consequences. And I love what Peter and John did. They looked at him and they said, whether you think we ought to listen to you or, or God, you figure that one out. Because we cannot help but tell what we have seen and heard. In other words, you can threaten us all you want. We're going to still talk about him. And so they gave them, they threatened them further and let, let them go. And that brought us to this text. So they go back to the fellow believers in the early church and they give them a report of everything that the Sanhedrin has said, the threats and what they said to them and they're giving them this report. Now, I want us to look at the response of the early church. Let's look at what they did not do. Here's what they did not do. Number one, they didn't quit. They didn't, they didn't look at each other and say, oh, 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 no, this is not good. These are the same people who crucified Jesus. We gotta stop. We got to kill this whole thing. We're going back to Judaism. Just stop the whole thing. No more church. No more Jesus. We're over. We're done. We're all going to end up on crosses if we do this. We cannot handle this. I'm scared. I'm terrified. We're done. Okay. No. We all agreed. No more Jesus. No more church. No more Christianity. That is not what happened. They did not withdraw. They could have said, well, I'll tell you what. You know, we, we got to serve the Lord. I mean, we know he's risen. We know it's real. We, we've been changed. But here's what we'll do. We'll, we'll let Christianity be this little quiet religion and we won't tell anybody about Jesus. We'll just have church in our little houses quietly. We won't invite anybody. We won't tell anybody the gospel. We'll just, we'll have our own little thing and we'll, we'll be secretive and, 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 and just maybe they'll leave us alone. That's not what happened either. Now, the reason I say that is because I want to stop right here and say something to you. I think that what the early church saw as a challenge the same challenge is facing the church in America today. Now, unless you are living in a cave somewhere, surely you are picking up, and I know we're in the Bible Belt, so we're a little bit insulated, but that insulation is getting torn away every month and every year, y'all. So hopefully you're seeing it. But maybe you're But society in America, with its loudest voices and its powers that be, has an agenda, and, and there are segments of society and, and, and people that are negative. They want to silence the church in America. Now, if you haven't figured that out, let me tell you the one that preachers are constantly watching when it comes to legislation. There are legislators that are desperate to pass what is called hate speech legislation. And, and, and oftentimes that hate speech legislation gets tempered, thank God, but, but some of them want hate. Now, what is hate speech legislation? It makes it illegal to say anything negative about someone who is marginalized, someone who is 
a minority, whether, and we can just fill that in. And, 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 and a lot of times they're thinking about the LGBTQ, H-I-J-K-W-N-O-P group, you know, that they're, they're thinking about groups that with initials, that, but the marginalized, and they're like, we need to protect them. Right, listen, I'm an American. I know what makes us special. I know that free speech makes us, I think there ought to be rights and civil rights. I'm all for that, okay? That's, that's not what we're, I'm not an extremist. That's not even what we're talking. Here's my problem and a lot of other pastors' concern. That's fine, but when you get to the point, and this is what some of them want, you just gotta take my word for this. Some of them want the legislation to be so intense and so expansive that if a man of God like myself gets up on a Sunday morning, cracks open the word of God and says, homosexuality is a sin, not because I say it, but because God says it's an abomination and it's a sin just like adultery or lying or cheating or stealing or any other sin or murder. And I'm preaching against sin and I'm saying same-sex marriage is a farce. It's not real. It's a man-made institution. God made man and woman. That is marriage. Anything else is just a sinful. See, if I preach like that, the threat will be that somebody will take my recording to somebody and the next thing I know, I'll be indicted and arrested and they'll throw me in jail or fine me and say, like the Sanhedrin, we're threatening you. you. You will not preach like that ever again. We are at a specific place in time in our nation and here's what's happening. Some in the church in America are running scared. Some in the church in America are modifying their message. Some in the church in America are diluting the gospel. Some in the church in America are remaining silent when we should be speaking the truth of God's word. Now, we spent three Sundays teaching you, church, what it's all about, right? And then last Sunday, wasn't last Sunday awesome? The 20 years was awesome. And Pastor Josh Trammell comes in here, and what does he do? In essence, he's preaching about the church, the qualities of the church, what it's all about. I'm going to come back one more time and just give you something else. Listen to me. It is the church's job. It is the believer's role. It is the born-again child's responsibility to speak and proclaim and defend the moral truth that is found within God's word. That's our job. The government's not going to do it. The, the educational systems aren't going to do it. The media aren't going to do it, okay? Businesses aren't going to do it. There's only one institution, one group of people that has that responsibility and it is you and it is me, it's us and we've got to do what God says and declare the word of the Lord. You and I are tasked to declare in humility and love what thus says the Lord because that's what the world needs to hear. That's our job. That's the church's job. Now, this week, the New York legislature passed a bill and Governor Cuomo signed it into law, making abortion legal even after the unborn child is viable so long as the abortionist makes a reasonable and good faith judgment that that abortion will protect the woman's health. All right, I'm going to give you a clear statement about abortion in a minute. You probably get a good idea of what I think about it. If you don't, I'm kind of shocked, but we'll clear that up in a minute. Okay? That's bad enough. But what has been on the internet, and if you haven't seen this, 
this is appalling. This ought to make you, this ought to grieve your spirit. Here's a video. This is what happened after the bill passed. They stood to their feet and clapped and cheered at the top of their lungs like they'd won a baseball game. They're cheering and clapping for the, for the, for, for that they have legalized the killing of the unborn. In the state of Virginia, right here in the good old South, a woman by the name of Senator Tran, a state senator, brought legislation to the state legislature in Virginia, and here's what it is. It would make abortion legal. Ladies, listen to me. Even at term, nine months of gestation period, and if you don't want that baby, you can get, now that's what's, that was what's been proposed. It's not law yet. And even in the birthing process, if you decide you don't want it, they will, they will terminate that child in the birth canal. I'm not making this up. You can go look it up. Y'all listen to me. I love America. You, you're going to be hard-pressed to find anybody in this room that's more patriotic than I am. I, get, I go to baseball games and get ashamed because they'll sing the national anthem and I get to crying. I love this country. You just don't understand how much I love this country. Okay, but I'm telling you, America has become barbaric. We are barbaric. You you understand me? We are, since 1973, in Roe versus Wade, we have terminated, we have killed 61 million unborn children. Y'all know that? 61 million. I don't believe you. Go look it up on the internet. Get your phone out and pull it up right now. Go look at verified sources. 61 million. We've killed our workforce. We killed people who have been paying into Social Security. We, we've killed our future. Now, I'm going to preach a while, and I only, got, I only got 20 minutes. But there is in the Bible, now, y'all hang with me. I'm going to stay on this a while. There is in the Bible a list that you will find of false gods back in the day for, of Israel. Baal. Y'all ever heard of him? That was the big one because of the Philistines. The Phoenicians, that was their god. Whacked, whacked god. Ashtoreth. All right, let me tell you one of them. There was one named Mullach. Mullach. And basically, you, and, and, if, and if I've seen, the, if I've got it right, the, the statue had like this, and the arms would come out. And they would, they would put a fire, okay? And then you'd lay your child in the, in the arms of the idol and you would burn your child and sacrifice your child to Moloch and it would kill him. Fire in his belly. That's it. Yep. Yep. Do you hear that? They beat the drums loud. He studied some of this. I don't usually let people interrupt me, but he, he fired up. Hear that? They beat the drum so they wouldn't have to hear the baby crying, dying. That's what we're doing in America. We're just putting our hand over our... Uh, Some of you are going to get nervous today, but that's all right. We'll pray you out of it. I had a dream one time. I I, I got a lot to give you. I'm I'm preaching stuff. I didn't preach in the first... I had a dream one time. I had a spiritual dream. Y'all want to hear my dream? I had a spiritual dream one time. If you ever have a spiritual dream, you'll never forget it. I was walking through a bazaar. Y'all know what a bazaar is? You ever watch the movies about the Middle East and they got all the tents and the stuff for sale? That's a bazaar. So I'm dreaming. I'm walking through a bazaar. That was, that's bizarre. And because I'm not Middle Eastern. And I'm walking through a Middle Eastern bazaar. And I turn a corner and Joshua, 
there is a statue of Moloch. And I'm thinking, what? I'm in a dream. And there's a statue of Moloch, the idol. And as I approached, there was a demon in the statue. And that demon cried out to me and said, Moloch is Lord. And in my dream, the Holy Ghost came on me and I said, oh no, he's not. Jesus is Lord. And when I did, that demon shot out of the top of that thing like I kicked him in the tail. He went flying up, came back in, and my dream ended. I don't know what's going to happen after that. But I had a dream. Mullock is Lord. That's what happened. Mullock has become Lord in America. Oh, I don't, if you don't want to hear this kind of preaching, go find somewhere else where they can tickle your ears. But I'm preaching today. Somebody better stand up and, and defend the unborn. Somebody better stand up and declare the truth. Now, listen to me. So that you understand, because when we Pentecostal preachers get going, we're bombastic sometimes, and people, they misinterpret it. Oh, you're mean, man. You're just mean. Now, listen to me. If you had an abortion in your past, and that's a secret, silent sin that you've got hidden away, and you're wanting to forget about it, but that's part of your life, and you're scared to death right now. Oh, God, what if he found out? Let me tell you how, what I would do. I'd have the greatest compassion in the world for you. I'm a compassionate pastor. The people, those of you who are newer, you're learning me, okay? Go talk to the people who've been with me, but I'm a compassionate man. I would have unbelievable compassion for you because you made a decision. I don't know the circumstances, but I know the ramifications of that decision. I can only imagine the shame and the guilt and the torture and the torment that you've lived with for years. And you will have my sympathy and my compassion. And I know there's a God who can heal and there's a God who can restore. I'm gonna tell you another story. This is just, these are in my notes. A few years ago, my, my, my brother from another mother, Daryl Croft, started a church in, in Columbia. He asked me to come preach. While I was going down, I had somebody else drive the vehicle so I could pray and meditate. While I was going down, the Lord spoke to me, scared the living daylights out of me. He gave me the name of a woman and told me she'd had an abortion and then gave me a word to tell her. I was petrified. I thought, oh God, there's probably 150 people there. What are the chances that there's a woman there with that name and that she had an abortion? You talk about, I was scared to death. I got there, I got up to speak. The Holy Ghost was on me, pushing me. You better do what I told you to do. Well, what am I gonna do, disobey the Lord? I've been miserable. So I said, oh, and I'm talking. You know how you can do two things at one time? So we can talk in the back of your head. You're going, help me, Jesus, help me, God. I don't wanna do this, God. Please help me, God, please. Can I get out of this, God, please? Nope, can't get out of it. Say it, quit, quit saying stuff, say it. And I said, okay, and I just stopped. I said, y'all, I have to be obedient to God right now. And I just shut my eyes. I said, is there anybody in this house by the name of and I can't remember her name now. And all the way in the back of the room, right over here, okay? Right, right back here, Linda, about where you were. There was a woman with, I don't remember, she had this canary yellow blouse. And she raised her hand. Well, in my mind, I'm going, oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, God. Oh, thank you, God. She's just somebody here by that name. Oh, God. And so I said, okay. I said, ma'am, I said, I appreciate you. Do. I said, listen to me. I said, God has a word for you. I said, I want you to see me after church. I got a word for you. And I already told Daryl. I think I told Daryl about it. I preach, had an altar call. I'm down there praying for people. Kind of thought no more about it. Thought maybe, maybe she won't come. Maybe I'll have to do this. And I'm like this, praying for it. And I turn around and there's my brother from another mother, six foot five, 285 pound Daryl Croft who played football for Newberry College in the Citadel and had a contract with the Dallas Cowboys and pushed it back and said, I can't. God's called me to preach. He's standing there like this and he's got her and said, he looked at me and said, here she is. 
And he's grinning like this because he, he operates and flows in the Holy Ghost. He knew exactly. He was ready. He's like, come on, big boy. It's your turn. I wanted to punch him so bad right there in church. And I looked at her. I'm like, like this to him. And I thought, okay, boy, here it goes. See, y'all learning about the gifts of the Spirit. See, y'all learning about the Holy Ghost power. That's why you're in a Pentecostal church. And so I got down in her ear and I said, honey, I'm going to say something to you. We've never met. I said, if I'm wrong, you tell me. And I'll apologize. I'll admit it. If I've missed it, that's what you're supposed to do. See, you got to stay humble. I said, but if it's not, I said, and I, t- I said, I'm going to ask you a question. I know it's personal. I said, have you ever, and I'm in her ear now. I'm quiet. Nobody hear me. I said, have you ever had an abortion? And she looked at me and she said, yes, I have. And I said, let me give you the word that God gave me. I said, the devil's been beating you up and torturing you over this and telling you that you're damaged goods and you're no good and he can't use you. But God sent me all the way here from Anderson, South Carolina to tell you that you're not damaged goods. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Whatever your past is, is in the past. It's under the blood and God has a plan for you. He's going to use you. You step out, whatever it is God has for your life. That was it. Service, altar service ended and she stayed right here in the front row, right here, Heather, about where you are and waited. And when I was done, she said, can I talk to you? And I sat down and she gave me the rest of the story. She said, years ago when I was a teenager, I got pregnant out of wedlock. She said, I'd made a decision to have an abortion. She said, it killed me later. It just killed me what I had done. She said, but I got saved and I gave my life to Christ. And she said, after that, I wanted to do ministry. For years, I've wanted to do ministry in the church. I want to help other teenage girls not make the wrong decision and help them to serve God. She said, but every time I would take the initiative to go to the pastor or start this ministry, she said, the devil would get in my ear and say, who do you think you are? You killed a baby. You are unworthy. You you have no business. You are damaged goods. And she said, I would always back down. But she said, tonight, you have given me a word from the Lord that tells me that God has put it in my past. And yes, it was bad, but it's under the blood. And I'm going to start a ministry and do what God has called me to do. So that's so that you know, so that nobody thinks, you know, he's a mean old preacher. No, I have a heart and a love for you, and that's, that's my history. But now, that's stated, and I want everybody to hear me. And, I, and, I, and listen to me, especially the younger generation, okay, all the young adults. Listen to me, I don't know how else to do this, so I'm going to do it straight. All right? Abortion is wrong. Abortion is morally wrong. Abortion is a sin. Abortion is bad. Are you with me? Okay. God told Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb. In Psalm 139, David said that the Spirit of God knit me in my mother's womb. Science, modern science wants you to think that in procreation, it is simply the result of a physical act. But I'm here to tell you, God gets in the business. You say, then why would God be involved in a woman getting pregnant? I'll tell you why. Because the Bible says that you and I and everyone is made in the image of God. It's more than a fetus. It is something that bears the image of Almighty God. Made by God before you in your mother's womb. When I formed you in your mother's womb, he said. Are y'all hearing? This is the word of the Lord. This isn't Christology. This is the word of the Lord. Sit down, thank you. Y'all with me on this? Y'all understand? 
I better find my notes. I might be here till 12, 31, 2, 30. Where am I at? I didn't say this in the first service and I regret it because I got away from my notes. If we will speak this truth in love, don't be militant. Speak the truth in love. Y'all hear me? You get a whole, you catch a whole lot more flies with honey than vinegar. That sounds like somebody grew up in the country. I did. If we will speak the truth in love, I believe we can help the next generation see this issue clearly. And we might even end this horrific moral blight in America once and for all. It is not time for us to throw in the towel and say, oh, well, that's the way it is. It is time for the church to rise up and be the light and the salt like I preached a couple weeks ago. It is time for us to shine the light and say, this is what thus saith the Lord. God has a better way. God has a better way. So the early church didn't withdraw and it didn't quit. What did the early church do? They dropped to their knees and they prayed. And what did they pray? I'm going to break down their scripture for you because we're going to apply it to us. The first thing is they, they recognize God as the creator of everything. Second, they prayed the scriptures. How many of y'all know it's good to pray the word? So they prayed Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And this is what the verses say. They're right there in your Bible. It's verses 25, 26 in the text. Basically what they say is that ungodly people are going to resist God and his word and his people. But here's the good news. Whatever they do will always be in vain. How many know a sinful world will never overcome our almighty, powerful God? And then they prayed about Jesus and how ungodly people plotted against him to put him to death. Well, you say, yeah, pastor, but they, they were successful only for three days. <laughs> right? They thought they had killed the son of God. They thought they had shut up the founder of Christianity. They said, if we shut him up, we can shut it down. The devil thought he had won. Death thought he had won. How y'all know it may be Friday? How many of you know it may be Friday, but Sunday's coming? And Sunday came, and on that third, that first Easter Sunday morning, that third day, the stone was rolled back by the angels, and Jesus walked out in resurrection power, and death said, I didn't see that coming. And the grave said, I didn't see that coming. And the devil said, oh, I didn't see that coming. And the Pharisees and Sadducees and Pilate and the rest of them said, well, we didn't see that coming. And, they, and God said, yeah, you didn't see that coming because you plotted against my son and you thought you were doing something that that was part of the plan because he had to die for mankind. But now I brought him back to life and now he lives to save anybody and everybody who believe. Then they prayed the last thing, and that's this. They asked God to look on the threats against them and enable them to continue to speak the word of God with boldness. And I love this. And then they said, Lord, while, we're, while you're helping us to speak, throw in some healing signs and miracles while you're at it. How many of y'all like the extras? Throw in some extras, Lord, while we're doing it. Just throw in some healings, miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, does this sound like a group of people backing down? Does this sound like a group of people backing up? Sounds to me like a group of people ramping up. That's exactly what it is. Brothers and sisters, we need to do the same thing. Let me tell you how we need to pray. This will help us, especially because what I'm about to talk about, this is what's going to help us. We need to get in the altars and we need to pray and in our personal prayer times. Here's why I need to pray. God, 
You're the Lord of everything. You're still in charge. You're still in control. And yes, God, there is a society and there are politicians and there are people and organizations that are doing everything they can to come against. They hate it. You know, by the way, most stars in Hollywood would hate you. You know that, right? You love to be watching their movies and TV shows. And if you ever got one-on-one with it, they would mock you and make fun of you and despise you. Okay, yes, Lord, I know the media is out. I know that they're out there putting stuff, all that, it's just little old me. But God, I know everything they try. You're gonna make it fall flat on its face. You're gonna make it ineffective because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So Lord, would you just give me boldness right here in Anderson, Townville, Honeypath, Belton, where else? Pelzer, don't forget West Pelzer. Right? Fair Play, Greenville, Powdersville, Piedmont, Moonville, Ware Shoals, Ware Place, Six Mile, Booger Branch Road. Anybody know where Booger Branch Road is? Lord, yeah. Lord, Possum Kingdom, we are really getting out there now. If y'all don't know where these places are, they're real. Take seven miles to get six miles. If you're seven miles out, never mind. You need to pray, say, Lord, I know they got all that going on and it's just me and my town and my job and my neighborhood and my home, but oh God, would you make me bold to declare the word of the Lord and throw in some healings and miracles and signs and let some Pentecostal power flow through me. That's how we need to pray. They prayed. What did the church do? They dropped to their knees and they prayed. And that's how we need to pray. Now, how did God respond? We know how the church responded. How did God respond? Three ways. He showed up. The Holy Spirit showed up. Let me just say this. God's looking for a church and God is looking for people he can trust with the task of declaring his word and preaching and fulfilling the Great Commission. Y'all, the church ain't a social club. It might be social, but it ain't a social club. Oh, that's good. Somebody tweet that. Church may be social, but it ain't a social club. Gabe, put that down. That's good. Put that on a slide somewhere. What'd they do? They, they prayed. The Holy Spirit showed up, and three things happened. The place where they were meeting was literally, physically, the edifice, the facility, the house was shaking with the presence and the power of God. Woo! Then the Bible says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Pentecost. Then the Bible says that they began to speak boldly. They went out and they spoke the word of God with boldness, with signs and wonders. I'm gonna close this message out today telling you this is what we need. And I know for me, it's what I want in high praises church. Can I preach for the next few minutes? Y'all pull your toes up in your shoes. Not all of us, some of us. Come on, let's be honest. Some of us need to be shaken up. Now, you know, the Lord can do what he wants, but I really hope he don't shake this place because I, you know, I don't want any damage done. And of course, he'd fix it, I guess. So Lord, do whatever you want. He's going to do what he wants. That would be cool if God's power showed up so strong that the building shook. But I think more than the building shakes, shaking, I think the people need to be shaken. 
Some of you need to be shaken loose from apathy, spiritual lethargy, complacency, intimidation, fear. Do you know that right now while I've been preaching, when I start preaching on abortion, some of you got nervous as a cat on a hot tin roof. Because right now, that's where we are in society. We're, we're terrified. You're terrified in public to say anything about right and wrong. You're absolutely, t- I know, I understand. You're terrified. You're afraid that if you would, they will gang up on you at work. See, I've been ganged up on at work. So I, I, not here, by the way, so you don't know. It's not in the church. When I work in the secular world, I know what it's like to get ganged up on for my faith. I've been there, done that. Let it happen one time, then it'll be over. <laughs> Gang up the next time, I've already done that. Right? You ever do something one time? I remember one time I went down a big giant water slide. I was terrified. It was a PTL. They had one of the highest ones in the world. I climbed the top of that thing. The blood drained out of my face. I almost backed out, but I'm watching seven-year-olds going down screaming at the top of their lungs. I thought, well, they can do it. I can do it. And I went, I finally jumped on that thing, went down. I had the time of my life. I got down to the bottom. I jumped up and said, whatever fear was gone. I said, let's do that again. Let's go. And I did it about eight more times. Let them jump on you one time. It's over. After a while, you get used to it. Here they come. Y'all going to jump on me again, aren't you? You know what? If they jump on you, if they're taking the time to jump on you, it's because there's something about you that keeps attracting them to you. Yes, come on. You might have tweeted that one. That would be a good one. Put that on Snapchat, Instagram, Bookface, something on there. We need to be shaken. We need God to shake us loose. We need God to shake us free. He whom the Son sets free is free. I want to be, I, listen, I have lived in fear before. When I was young, I'm going to tell you something about myself. When I was small, my mom and daddy will tell you this. Your mom will tell everything on you. I was, an, I was one of those fearful children, just scared. You know what I'm talking about? Just living fear and insecure. I remember I was like that. I was just afraid, fearful. I know what fear's like. And it's a horrible thing to be bound up in fear. It is, it is torture. And right now, the devil has so many people of God bound up in fear. We're afraid to say anything. We're afraid to stand out. We're afraid to be different. But I told you a couple, three Sundays ago, you are the light of the world and you're the salt of the earth. And you can't, unless you just reject Christ, you cannot be tasteless and you cannot blend in the dark. You stick out by natural means because you have been born again and changed and transformed. And you need to stick out and you need to proclaim the word of the Lord and boldly do it and then let the chips fall. We need God to shake us free. You know, the second thing is we need the Holy Ghost baptism. Now, you're going to find out if you haven't already. Come to Growth Track. I'll tell you in the first one. We are unapologetically Pentecostal. Now, what does that mean? Some of y'all have never heard that. That means we believe in the baptism with the Holy Spirit. We believe in speaking with other tongues. It's a heavenly language. It's the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Godhead gives us these words to say. It's a heavenly language. How cool is that? You might be able to speak in Spanish, but I can speak in a heavenly language. Problem is, you know what you're saying, and I don't. We believe in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, the supernatural. Man, that's cool. I love being Pentecostal. If God just wants to, he can just send me over to somebody in the cubicle next to me who's coughing their head off, and you can say, can I pray for you? Because you're barking like a seal over here. Can I pray for you? (laughs) Yeah, pray for me. You lay hands on them in the name of Jesus. God, just touch this person. Heal them, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for letting me pray for you. And five minutes later, they quit coughing. 
By the end of the day, they said, I don't know what you did, but I feel better. I said, I didn't do anything. Jesus did. I love being Pentecostal. I love getting a word of knowledge, something I don't even know about anybody, and God just shows me. Oh, you want to trip somebody out? Get a word of knowledge, something you know nothing about somebody, and God tells you, and you tell them, they'll, they'll start going. I love being filled with the Spirit. Y'all, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. What God has called us to do, you can't do it on your own power. You need the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray that God will start filling people. If you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, you'll start praying. God, fill me with the Holy Spirit just like you did in Acts chapter 2. I don't want anything less than what happened in Acts chapter 2. If you, however you did it for them, do it the same way for me. And for those of us who have been filled with the Spirit, but we have not been operating in the Spirit, God needs to shake up some of us and we need to get on our knees and say, God, I'm sorry for being idle for so long. Lord, put some power and fire back in me and let me operate in the power and flow of the anointing one more time in my life life and then the last thing is we need to speak the word of God with boldness we need to speak I want you to stand with me I'm going to do with you what I couldn't do in the first service we just couldn't do it but I want everybody in this house please I want you to empty out of your seat and come to the altar come down here to the altar I got to talk to you about something so if you leave you're going to miss the part that I got to talk to you about but I'm going to get you down here and, and show you why if you leave, you're going to miss something. I'm telling you. Sinners are bold. The media are bold. Hollywood's bold. I think it's time for the church to be bold. Now, those of you who are younger, listen to me. Those of you young adults, let me tell you something that's going to happen to you one day, and it's awesome. One of these days, you're going to turn 50. That's awesome. Thinking, that's not awesome. Yeah, it is. Now, let me tell you why it's awesome. Because when you're 24 or 32, now you can talk big in your friends, but then if it ever comes when it counts, you get scared. You worry about what other people think. And especially this day of time where everybody's. Evidently, you really worry about what people think, right? So that's all we do. We worry about what people think. That's why the church has become anemic, all right? But when you turn 50, don't tell anybody. It's this coolest thing that happens to you. You don't care anymore. It's liberating. Oh, y'all just wait. It's liberating. Lord, I don't want to be 50, but give me a spirit of 50 for the sake of the gospel. You don't care anymore. Because you fat, you wrinkle, you're losing your hair, right? <laughs> I love you, Sarge. You my buddy. If you know how much he's picked on me, you deserve that. For the, me missing a turkey. He said, Pastor, I think the earth moved when you shot. You, ain't got, you got nothing to prove? Nobody to impress. You're just glad you're married because she loves you and you're just glad because you both put up with each other so long. It's just nice. Thank God. Lee always said her favorite songs. I love you just the way you are. I'm glad it's still her favorite song. <laughs> I went to work for Bobby Johnson. He was 52. I was 22. Praise Cathedral. Phil, 
That first year, I thought, what's wrong with this man? He says things I never say. He talks to people ways. I'm, I'd be scared to talk to people. You gave him trouble in his church, he'd look at you and say, you know what, I'll tell you, he'd say, I'll tell you what, the door's right back there. We'll get you a map and a, and a meal and send you on your way. How about that? I said, you can't say that to people. I used to wonder, how does he do that? Well, then I turned 52. I don't know why he does it. Because you don't care. Come in here and give trouble. Well, get out of here. There's 300 other churches. But don't come in here and mess this thing up. I'll buy you a meal and a GPS. You don't use roadmaps. We'll get you a GPS and a meal. Send you on your way. Right? Pastor, how am I going to get a spirit of a 50-year-old? You don't need spirit of 50-year-old. You just need the Holy Spirit. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is done in the presence of fear. Courage is action in the presence of fear. Every hero will tell you he was terrified, but he did it anyway because nobody else would do it. Nobody else is doing it, Pastor. I got to do it. Nobody else at my work is shining the light. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm about to jump. Nobody else is being the salt at work. I got to do it. Nobody else is standing up for the truth. I'm going to declare the truth, Pastor. They may make fun of me. They may persecute me, but I'll just go back to the Lord and talk about it. And it ain't going to come to nothing anyway because whatever they do, it's in vain. If I lose a job, God will just give me a better one. Don't stomp out if they fire you. Turn around, everybody's scared, terrified, say, I'm gonna do one more thing. Let me tell you about Jesus. Don't burn the place down. You know, don't do literally don't do that. You feel like it, but don't ever do that, my Lord. To start a jail ministry. Just turn around and tell them about Jesus. They say, What are you what are you what are you gonna tell? It's seven after twelve. We've had a move of God. We've had a good service. We try to be good stewards, and yet we want God to have his way. One of the things that God told us, I'm going to keep talking about this because it was more than a message, y'all. It was a prophetic word. What was it, last Sunday, December? Remember when I preached? That the next 20 years, it was going to be about freedom in this house. And that it would be a season of abundance and a season of growth and a season, 20 years, of the moving of the Holy Spirit. We have a time thing, and it especially hurts the first service. But it's here too, because we have to do two services. Our auditorium's not big enough for all of us. And we have tried to be good stewards. And I work for Bobby Johnson. And if there was ever a man who could steward time, he would do it. But 11.30, you were out of church. And he asked the people, Raymond, Gene, y'all been with me. I'm always conscious, almost too much. But God's been dealing with me that there are times when I finish preaching, I need to get you down here because we need to get the altar and do what the early church did and prayed. And we can't because we run out of time. That's why we're going to change the times to 9 and 11. Now, I joked with the early service, and I said, now, for you, that means we'll get out at 1030 at the latest. We're going to get 15 more minutes because then we'll have 30 minutes to 11. I said, now, I'm not going to tell the second service, but that means they're going to get out at 1230. They all laughed. I said, no, I have to tell them. Now, if we get done at 1210, we'll quit. If we get done at 1215, we'll quit. If we get done at 1220, we'll quit. But y'all, we're already doing it. And I feel like I'm fighting it because I want to be a good steward and I don't want to be seen as somebody that's... But y'all, right now, we're in the flow of the Holy Ghost. How do you stop this? Okay? And if you're more concerned about beating the Southern Baptist to a restaurant, you got your priorities out of whack anyway. Am I right? Just get up and leave. The rest of us will have church. Am I right? That sounds mean. 
but I'm 53, man. I don't care anymore. I want you to experience a move of God. I want you to feel and experience the presence and power of the Holy Ghost. I want you to leave the altar changed and transformed and ramped up and ready to share Jesus and to speak the word of God with boldness. Some of y'all, you say, yeah, Pastor, you're going to keep us longer. Oh, come on. Y'all remember, y'all remember Scott Taylor? Now, some of y'all don't know Scott. Y'all been here and he's been gone since September, but Scott was our executive pastor. He's my brother-in-law. Okay? Start, he's the one pastor in the Take Heart uh, Turning Point Church. All right, let me, let me tell you about Scott Taylor. Scott grew up in church but wasn't saved. He got saved at Praise Cathedral. Then he wanted to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. Now, at Praise Cathedral, we got out at 1130. We had an altar call. And Scott got in the altars and wanted to be filled with the Holy Ghost. He was in his early 20s. And I knew he wanted to be filled. So some of us got in the altar. Now, some of y'all, some of us who are older, we remember these days. So about 11.15, 11.30, he had an altar call. He gets in the altar over here praying. Service is over, 11.30. Everybody leaves, not us. He gets in the altar and he tarries and he stays there. And about three or four of us stayed in there with him praying till 12, 12.30, one o'clock. We prayed through lunch. We didn't care about, we'd eat later. He was hungry for more of God. And about one o'clock, the power of God fell on him. And his lips started trembling. And I said, "Uh uh-oh, here it comes. And the next thing I know, my quiet, stoic, half-glass, empty, cynical brother-in-law, y'all, he is. He was here. He'd say, that's all true. Oh, you think, you think, he was quiet then. Oh, we'd go to family gatherings. He'd sit there and never say a word all Christmas. That was just Scott, my quiet brother-in-law. All of a sudden, the Holy Ghost got on him and he started speaking in a heavenly language and the power of God came all over him. And the next thing I know, he gets up and in a day or two, he says, I want to help you in youth ministry. And he became my right-hand man. Then God called him into full-time ministry. Then he came here and was our first youth pastor. Now he's a pastor of a new church in Greenville, South Carolina. My God, that's what the power of the Holy Ghost can do. But you can't rush God. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.